Hello, everybody. This is Bill Harper with Wave 94. We have a special guest today with us, Morgan Snyder. And I am interviewing him about his amazing book, uh, Becoming a King. How are you today, Morgan? Good, Bill. I'm really um, grateful and actually super excited to connect with you on uh, this topic because it seems like it's really been a, um, a personal journey for you as well in this message. So I'm just excited to dive in with you. Oh, it has been a personal journey. I've, uh, I attended my first Wild at Heart boot camp in 2006. So it's been about a 14-year, maybe a 15-year journey. Mm. Um, my brokenness came to a head in 2005. And, and since then, I've been in recovery from my addiction. And I'm a man in search of my heart. Mm. And this work of becoming a king um, is in many ways a look back for me, but it also is a textbook. It is a dissertation. It is so loaded. You've covered every base more, Mm. you know. Um, Some of the chapters uh, spoke to me heavily and some of them, well, not so much, but see, you've covered every base for every man. That's so amazing. Um, Tell us how you came to this place. Give us that story. Yeah, Bill, I, I, I really have to rewind the clock uh, quite a ways. But I, I remember I just a pa- always being passionate, always being intense, being finding myself in leadership roles just as a, a young boy. I remember always uh, energizing the kids in the neighborhood to go hunt werewolves or or hunt Indians or um, and with our with our guns and play night games. And as that transpired, I realized that that leadership was uh, a gifting and also a hiding place. It was where I found an answer to my soul's question, though I couldn't have named it at the time, but I was searching. The boy was searching for an answer. And, and maybe, Bill, another way to say it is the boy was searching for a father. Mm-hmm. And mm. I, I remember I basically won the game. I won the world and lost my soul. Wow. I remember the night before I left for university, I was looking at myself in the mirror and the best way I could describe it was, you know, I had all the accolades, student government president for five years, 4.23 GPA. And I looked at a boy in the mirror that had nothing to say for himself. I just had this fear that I might die that night. And what do I say to God? I know he exists, but I have done nothing for him. I've really not done nothing for anyone else except for building my own story. And so I went on a radical search for God. I knew that he was real but I didn't know what he looked like. I didn't know his personality. I didn't know where to find him. And in over four years, what I found is I was the one being hunted. I was <laughs> pursued. It was amazing. Yes. And, and Bill, what happened was I had a profound conversion to coming into kind of trust and confidence in God, but I was still a boy on the inside. I found myself in a young man's world with a boy's heart, still feeling fear, still feeling shame still driving to succeed now in the name of God. And I think, Bill, one way I describe it is I always felt behind. Just whatever it is, you name uh-huh. Uh-huh. it, behind. And so what happened was a radical risk to say, I want the whole gospel. I want the real thing. I want my whole heart back. Yes. And out of pain and dreams, I started asking older men the questions of, what do I fear and why do I fear it? What am what I is life of? about? Yeah. What am I afraid of? What is life about really? 
what is the most important thing? And mm. so in summary, uh, I spent a beautiful two years sitting at the feet of the oldest, wisest men I could find, and some women as well, the most respected people I knew, and started asking the honest questions. I replaced the exclamations in my soul for question marks. And I began to recover a map to a treasure. It wasn't new but it was newly recovered. You know, G.K. Chesterton says that every generation loses the gospel and yes. every generation is charged with its recovery. Yes. I found these themes that were, the fruit was joy and peace and strength and life, but it was a slow and steady process. It wasn't cheap. It wasn't quick. It wasn't easy. And the message of becoming a king is simply the fruit of two decades of sitting with older men, serving under them, choosing the lower seat at the table, being apprentice in the kingdom, and trying to recover the path and process where we can become the kind of men in whom God is really glad to entrust the care of his kingdom. Wow. In many ways, parallel my, parallels my journey. I graduated from the academy in 1980, so 40 years ago. And threw my hat in the air and ran off and got flight suit and silver wings and all that. And now I'm everything all in a bag of chips. But I was also a boy. I was a boy flying supersonic jets and training all this thing. But I thought I was a man and uh, got married, had kids. And then, as you say, all the flaws start to show up. I, yeah. My identity was my flight suit. And how I flew that day was my grade. And finally, when I got taken to my knees, well, the last time when I stayed down mm. and got recovery and I found God in an amazing way, he became so real and, and uh, just turned my life around. Mm. So, and that journey began 15 years ago and your roadmap to it has been absolutely amazing. Um, you know, the larger story that has been so pivotal, that is so interwoven in the 12 steps to me that I've talked about on the radio here at Wave 94 before, and the Isaiah 61 restoration. You had been a student of John Eldridge for a while, and you've like brought it all together. Mm. Uh, we, spent you, a, we spent a lot of life together. <laughs> And it's not a student of John Eldridge, it's a student of the truth. You're finding the way and pointing out the roadmap to so many men that uh, it, it's hard to find. It's hidden and, and the enemy doesn't want you to find it. It's in the battle for the heart. And it's an awesome job, awesome job that you've done. Um, so one of the things that I found is my life has been a puzzle. Right. And early on, I wasn't able to assemble the pictures or the, the pieces because I didn't have a picture. Yes. As soon as the larger story, Wild at Heart, the 12 steps, everything came. Now I get a picture and all the pieces start to make sense. Your book. Right. This Becoming a King has added a whole nother mural to mm -hmm. the picture. Mm -hmm. And all of the pieces of my life are going in. So you see the, the picture is ever expanding now. Mm -hmm. um, amazing that that what you've done. Well, Bill, I think, too, you know, so much of um, the work at hand is to recover the lost treasure we talked about that that it's in man it's you know the most important thing we can know about any person 
is that they bear the image of God as a man or as a woman. So you just described that flight suit. It's very powerful. A boy flying supersonic jets, and he is only as good as that suit, right? He's defined by his rank. And I spend quite a bit of time with men who are retired from military service, and it's brutal for them because they retired from their identity, Right. They're so often defining themselves based on what they used to be. And Uh who am I without my suit? Uh So when we can recover true design, when we can recover what God meant when he meant masculinity, that below the addiction is a glorious heart that was meant for true intimacy, true strength, but our service and our power is for others. We can, we can get joy and, and we can change the world even in times like this. Yes. The true masculinity that you're talking about becomes so, um, it's kind of elusive. I, by the way, the, uh, the line, probably the classic, the thing that I sat back and said, wow, was in the chapter of Becoming Like-Hearted, you said, sign treaties with good men, like-hearted kings in your life. When they are at war, you are at war. And I called up my friends the other day and said, that's absolutely huge. Mm. But let's, we've, we're not close enough to tell me when you're at war. So that was a, yes. that was really a uh, conviction that came to my heart. So, Bill, I just want to unpack that for a minute. So explain why specifically that sentence caused you to go back and make the phone call. Put some more words to it. The good friends that I have, that I have walked with through the Wild at Heart journey, this one, we did boot camps together and been in recovery together with another man. Um I would consider them some of the closest friends in my life, one of the five, right? And I said, are you at war? How would I know if you're at war? Yes. Then are you at war? Am I fighting for you from this place? Well, I don't even know if the rounds are incoming. Yes. Yes. Have you told me, are you going to communicate with me? Are you going to call me up when you're whacked or you're angry or you whatever and you need prayer? Are you going to do that for me? Well, that's the treaty. I have to know that. Yes. That takes that level of friendship, brotherhood, camaraderie so much deeper than just say, hey, he's my friend or he's one of the five exactly. that, I, that are close. Well, and it's very sacrificial, right? It, it really costs you something. It's not convenient. And secondly, the emphasis is, is am I becoming the kind of man? that this other man would want to be friends with, that he would feel safe and trustworthy to sign a treaty. And the implications are there are only a few, right? I I have five guys that have, you know, 24 seven access to me. And even sometimes what we do is we just text, we literally text treaties. That's all it says. And basically that means my world is sideways. I need prayer and I don't even have the capacity to explain it, but I trust I have your sword I trust that you will fire in my direction and provide me that spiritual covering fire and that you will make me a priority to unpack this and know me and be current. But most of the time, 
they generally know what it's in, what, what it's involved with. So I think that's a perfect example of we can make Christianity an appendage. We can do it like a bolt on acquisition to a large company and it can clean up some of the surface. It can be the whitewash tomb. You know, we can do a little sin yep. management, yep. but if we want our whole heart back, if we want to become the kind of men that do not mishandle power, but actually offer power in the service of love, we, we have to be whole. We have to have places where we can confess and we can be validated and, and build the other piece in our, my treaties is to be celebrated. I have a few men that celebrate me and we as a culture actually don't celebrate the victories enough. It's really good for someone to know your marriage, to know your children, to know your work and your battles enough that they are constantly a mirror to throw back celebration. Outstanding. Well, that's, that's one of the things that I have renewed my commitment and I'm sharing with with my closer friends and my extended friends about the notion of, of the essence of this book, um, that when is a man to be entrusted and look at all of your choices and all the power and influence you had just when you, when you become a father for starters. Right. Oh, it's massive. You're, you're young and stupid. And now as you get later in life and, and much more in your domain and talking about a kingship with them, and I said, you know, it's kind of a mythic idea. A couple of them are not Christians, but it's yes. a mythic idea that you would be the king of a kingdom and have that much influence. So I'm connecting with these guys this way. And especially a friend up here in Michigan sat back his head. And he goes, wow, that's deep. Tell me more. Yes, so this is a vehicle to introduce to some, a lot of people for me. I love it. I, yeah, I mean, what you're tapping into, Bill, is it's it's design right mm-hmm. desire reveals design and design reveals destiny that it's below our creedal statements you know it's yeah i was pursuing god but what i found is actually i was being i was the one being pursued uh-huh. every man is a king and it's it's our nature right god crafted us father son and holy spirit this heroic fellowship crafted us in their image breathed their breath and said, here's the keys. Take it for a spin. Design, create, explore, barley, wheat, hops, whatever you want to do with it. Just walk with me Yes, and have wisdom's long view. And, and, and so it's in our DNA. You know, my son received a cell phone in a rite of passage right about 13. And he was one of the, le- the latest friends in his circle to receive it. And I remember Bill feeling a sadness. And I, I had to kind of search my heart and say, why am I feeling sad? And I realized it was symbolically and practically the first time that my oldest son, his kingdom was going to be beyond my kingdom. That is uh-huh. to say his range of, you know, what he, a kingdom is where we have say it's where what we want done is done. And, uh, uh, Albert Einstein said that technology is like the hand of a razor blade, or it's like a razor blade in the hand of a three-year-old, right? What will you do with that thing? And I was sad of thinking of how much power was being entrusted to my son to do Uh great good or great evil in in a very cruel world. And I also had joy. I remember thinking he's on time in his masculine initiation. He's ready for this sort of stewardship and you have permission to fail and you have permission to explore. We will figure this out together, but it's just an example of 
every man has a kingdom. And so when we think in kingdom terms, it, it allows us to be really honest with the deeper questions of how is my kingdom? How, how are the things and the people that have been entrusted to my care? Absolutely. You know, it's almost like here you are younger than I, and you're speaking as a sponsor in all my years of recovery when guys' lives were wrecked. I tell them, if you can get this, if you can become humble, if you can turn around and become, become honest with others and yourself, um, put your faith in God and, of course, this roadmap of this path, you will save so many years. The years that I wasted will not be your case. Yes. And so much, you know, Morgan, if just one man, one man turns around and, and becomes a good king because of this book, it will all be worth it. And I'm sure yes. there will be more than one man. Yes. But the far-reaching influence of the children and the, and the grandchildren and the families is just astonishing through, through all of this. Um, here's when, and you, you said one, another quote that defines your book. When you talked about taking the low seat, you know, it's this humility thing. Okay. I want to, I, I'm a humble guy. What, what do you do with that? You can't go around practicing being humble, but the low seat that you, you mentioned, and it's in that place of taking the back seat, the lower area that you're able to leave in deeper integrity and through that integrity, it's a big word, a lot there we can grow into having both an anointing and authority to offer God's kingdom out of both what we have lived and who we have become. I read that passage like 10 times. Mm. I go on with what you wrote. This stands in contrast. Now, this is a key point to noble yet feeble attempts to offer out of mere gifting. I yes. have done that. I have some wonderful gifts of gab and whatever and sense of humor and so the feeble attempts to offer out of mere gifting. And then the place you're suggesting is it comes out of the honesty of miles on the odometer. Wow, that is a profound statement. And I hope guys hear this and they say, you know, it's okay to take the low seat, to make mistakes. You know, when you're young or you're a young pilot or a young officer, your job is to make mistakes. And hopefully you have mentors that are going to help you through it and learning to make mistakes is not bad. Don't let your ego get stomped, get rid of the ego and take that low place. Your examples of you doing this in a book are just profound. Yeah, Bill, I appreciate that. I think, um, you know, just reflecting on it a bit, we were in a family counseling session two nights ago with my young kids, 13 and 16. And afterwards, we were talking about what, what we want to see for our family. And, and we had this beautiful moment where we were able to articulate to the kids, like, this is the safest place for you to screw up. Yeah. And we bless you to do so. Right. Because the more you fail under this roof, the more you have room to encounter God to process what it's like and how we grow and failure is a kind guide. And frankly, something the world doesn't give a lot of room for. Uh -huh. And so I think what I want to reflect back for our listeners, I, I, I feel impressed to go in this direction is most men, if not all men find themselves being a king over a kingdom that's too much, too young. Exactly. 
right? Whether it's an older man in his woundedness that finds our gifting and says, I see your gifting and you experience it in the military, right? You get right. rewarded handsomely for your gifting and your service and the idea, and that's not all the time across the board, but the spirit of so often you have boys in men's bodies, in men's roles, and they need younger gifted men to prop up their kingdom. And yeah. so you are at their service. And so in our brokenness, we often use our gifting to get our validation. So either it's the broken men above us or in our own brokenness, we, we reach for that higher seat, trying to make a name for ourselves, trying to make a little money, trying to get something going, all the while using the God-given gifts in the service of the false self or the poser or the person yes. who's making life work apart from God. Yes. And so I want to be really compassionate in this space where there, there, there's, a, there's a boy in the heart of every man, me included. And that boy needs to receive the love of God in a very particular way, in an age-appropriate way. And the work of Jesus is far beyond salvation. Thank you, God, for salvation. But it's also restoration. And I believe that Jesus wants to work to restore every age we've ever been to integrate the parts of us so that we can be wholehearted, mature adults. Wholehearted, a man in search of his heart. Um, you know, and that connects with the your, your very important chapter, number two, becoming a son. The main point, don't forget this, because I liken it to this. When I get rattled, when I get upset, I got to remember to take my eyes above the line. Uh, that means get out of this three dimensions in time and the problems of this world and affirm all the truth of the gospel that I know. I have been chosen before the beginning of time. God has seated me at his right hand. All the stuff that's in the daily prayer, the affirmations of God's place for me, his pursuit of me, his love for me, and everything that's in your becoming good soil prayer as well. I have to affirm that so that I don't forget when I come back to this arena of yes. this yes. tough world we're living in, who I am. I yes. have only learned that recently. Mm -hmm. Um I was saving this for the end. I got to tell you, when I got to the end of your book, I had some favorite chapters. When I read that Becoming Good Soil prayer, I was taken to a real close place with God. Mm -hmm. Many of the verses were really examining myself. I've learned to take inventory, you know, mm -hmm. from the, the step two to the step 10 to taking regular personal inventory. And I was going down there. Am I really doing these things? Wow. And I would sit with that. So as you say, uh, as we learn to go through this life, to take our mistakes, offer them to the Father, seek wise counsel and grow. Gosh, it took me years to learn how to do that because I knew I didn't know I was loved at the time. Yes. You right. Because, you know, we, we really I, I so appreciate your disclosure, Bill. And I think what I've learned is we either live for identity or we live from identity. And it's so different. Because one of them is a constant reaching of, who am I? Do I have what it takes? Answer my question. We bring it to our work. We bring it to our wives. We bring it to our children. Validate me. Make me feel like a man. Right. And that always results in a failed report card. But when we know who we are, then we can come into a messy situation and we can 
offer strength and love out of that identity. And what's so beautiful is it unhinges us uh-huh. from outcomes or circumstances for our joy, exactly. for our life. And I, I remember my wife and I, I, I unpack this in the video series and in chapter two, but my wife was struggling with a deep anxiety and depression in 2008 and she ended up in a treatment center with our newborn child i was with our three-year-old son and i remember thinking i'm losing everything like i'm gonna lose my marriage i'm losing my wife's sanity they told me to take the knives out of the house like am i gonna lose my kids like i'm losing all my money like what can i do to control this and and i realized bill god was surfacing that the, the deep wounds in my story that have led to vows that I am loved when I come through. Yes. It's exactly what you said. It was all really about identity saying, who are you? Who are you? If your wife is suicidal, who are you fighting for the hearts of men? And you can't even fight for your own family. Who are you? Right. If you're divorced, right. accusation, sticking in the place of not knowing who I was. And it was that day that I made a decision and much of it had to do with choosing to receive God genuinely for the first time as father. Mm -hmm. But in that place saying, I have to release the outcomes. I may Mm -hmm. not be able to save my marriage. I may not be able to save my wife, but the one Mm -hmm. thing I have total control over is choosing who the man is that I want to become. Will I become the man God made me to be? And, And that was the fundamental shift. And over time, the beauty of that situation is my wife began to heal. She began to be restored. And much of the problem was me. I had no idea this energy of be a good man and rescue the beauty and fight for her. I had actually just created a marriage with a lot of pressure. And that pressure was not giving her room to be curious about who she was and what God was after in her. And so identity is, is the beginning of everything in the path of restoration. That's, uh, that's my story, too. Here we are. Debbie and I have been married 30 years. And she says, it's all, even with all my brokenness and all the wounds that I've given her, she says, it's been worth it. And now I'm learning to just let things go. So I love what you said. You're either living for identity or from identity and the identity below the line, the flight suit, the silver wings, the leader of the company, everything like this. And it takes effort to get our eyes above the line. A couple of years ago, I was driving back from a morning men's breakfast and I'm having a little quiet time with God and I'm, I'm upset. I'm ragged. I'm short tempered. Something's off. Some harm. I'm in disharmony. I prayed quickly, what's up, God? And it's almost like Jesus sitting next to me. He says it real clearly, when's the last time you had your eyes above the line? Mm. Above the line, the validation of who I am, what God says about me, not my worldly stuff. I go, oh, uh, it's been a while. He says, you might want to try that. And so it's so easy that we forget who we are. And the key to keep coming back to that, well, we have to live, we have to ascertain and, and understand the three dimensions in time we live in. We just have to believe so much more. That's, that's the key to so much of this. Who is that identity? You know, you had a graph in there about identity and validation on the top and then shame and fear on the bottom. Yes. That is the line. Above it is your identity and your validation all from God. And everything that you'll soak up below it is shame and fear and anger and discord and all that. 
technique for the battle. It seems so obvious that we all have our different stories. God comes about and heals us in different ways. Just like Jesus healed the blind men all differently. The patterns, the stories that we have bring so much to the table for others. And that's what kept me, slowed me down in this book is you give your examples and I'd sit back and go, wow, that's powerful. The, and then I'd compare it to mine. When you told the story of your little boy and you were laying on the floor with him and he said, well, if God's my daddy and God's your daddy, I guess we're brothers. Yes. You know how he inter- God ordains these points in our lives that will affect you for the rest of your life. Is Joshua able to pick up your book yet? Actually, that's a beautiful question because several of his friends' parents have asked him that question. You know, hey, Josh, have you read it? And what's so beautiful is his unedited response is, no, like, I, I haven't really been interested because we live it. Like, this is our <laughs> life. Wow. And it, in some ways, it was the greatest compliment because he yeah. knows, like, the person on the pages is the same as the person in his house. You know, there, 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 there isn't a separation. I tried to be, you know, my, my mission is to be fully authentic with everyone and then transparent with some and intimate with even fewer. And so there are treasures that others don't get access to. You know, I'll be taking Joshua on part of his vision quest next week. And it's, it's dad and son and no one gets that. That's not public information, but everyone gets authenticity is my hope. Right. And I'm maturing, I'm growing into it. I'm not fully there, but, but we've lived it together. And the beauty of that moment in the book, I unpack that a lot more Yeah, in the video and study guide. But uh, I, after my wife was sick, I broke down and I found myself literally laying on the asphalt in front of a home Depot, middle of a hot summer, July. And my son was strapped in his car seat. My, my wife's in a psychiatric treatment center and I'm on the floor of a parking lot thinking like, this, this is not good. Like, yeah. And then that night, in, in God's wild sense of humor, I'm in my childhood bedroom at my parents' house, of all places, uh-huh. on two twin mattresses on the floor. So I'm not only feeling eight years old in my life, but yes. I am eight years old back in my childhood, and we're nose to nose. And Joshua says, you know, we're brothers. And I think that's so cute, but that's not theologically true, you know? Right, right. But I feel like the Spirit said, just pause. Yeah. Stay here. Yeah. Stay here. Yeah. And I said, son, why are we brothers? And he looked at me incredulously as a three-year-old and said, well, dad, God is your father and God is my father. And that makes us brothers. And in that moment, learning my theology, my best theology from a three-year-old, I began the most important thing I've ever done as a parent in the greatest discipline we practice. And that's saying, I'm sorry. I was uh-huh. wrong. Will you forgive me? I, I have tried to do for you, Joshua, what my dad tried to do for me to be the strongest man in my world. And the good news, son, is I'm not strong enough. And we have a father greater still. And so we're going to pray that God would be our father because I need it. You, you don't need it. You know this, but I need it, son. Yes. And we, we began that day, Bill, and we have never missed a day praying that. And tomorrow's the first day of school, sophomore year. And just last night we were praying um, that God would father us through navigating all the changes, online school and COVID and changes of sports saying, we've got a good dad. 
he has all of this under control and we are his sons. And so we get to be really excited about this year. Nothing is lost when you're a son. Oh, that ties it together out of the mouths of babes. And you have tied together a thread that is so special to, to hear that story coming from you. Um, you know, in some ways, my story as well, I wounded my children a lot. And there was a time when I knew that I would have to be accountable. And I've shared this with other men in recovery, too. There will be a time when they will bring their anger towards you. Now, this happened when she was uh, 16 and I saw it coming and I stood up and faced the fury of my younger daughter. And I'm ready to do it again and again and again and let her just have it at me. And with a face that's receiving and no rebuttal and keep my mouth shut. And these are the kinds of things that men need to hear that it's okay. You're never going to be perfect. And at some point to make amends for my story, I'll be making amends to my wife and children for the rest of my life. And that is okay. It's part of this, this journey we're on that gets rid of our pride and, and lets us become humble and full of wisdom. And you've, You've scored it so many times. When I was reading the chapter, Becoming the Man You Were Born to Me, right out of Bagger Vance, let's go find your swing. Yes. And everything that God is weaving into this tapestry, you've you've woven a tapestry with just the finest threads and silk, and you can find a pattern with this. It's that's all the way through the Gospels and the larger stories, so it's really powerful. And what you said... And I just said is been characterized by Richard Rohr. He said that he thinks that your heart needs to be broken and broken open at least once to Mm -hmm. have a heart at all. Mm -hmm. So I would say to the listeners out there and the men who've had their heart broken and broken open, that's the beginning. That is the beginning of this journey. Let God into that place and pick up the book for a great roadmap too about how to do it. Well, yeah, I think of the words of A.W. Tozier, and I heard these in a really brutal time um, in my late mid-30s and was going through a really difficult challenge with some older men and came across the words of A.W. Tozier where he says it's doubtful that any man can be entrusted with greatness until he's been crushed. Yes, and I was in the crushing. And I remember at that time, I, I, I had a mentor share with me that really there, there, there are only two choices. Um, one is humility and the other is humiliation. But in that regard, there isn't a third path. And it was very kind. But I sensed the father through him saying, son, which of it, which, which would you like? Because it's your choice, humility or humiliation. And I realized, Bill, I had had enough humiliation. I had enough humiliation caused to myself and others because of my brokenness. And I was ready to become whole. And that required being really honest about my story, um, both the brokenness and the glory and God in me. And I learned in that, that humility is not passivity and false humility is rampant in the church, especially right. down South. That's very different than this Anach, which is the, the, the true um, original word that was used for humility to describe a, a harnessed horse, a wild stallion with strength and vigor that's brought under rain 
so that he can be in the service of something greater. And so the true definition of humility is strength under reign. And that is so different when you see Jesus that says he could have called on a legion of angels to keep him from God's destiny over his life. But in harness strength, he says, not my will, but thy will be done. I mean, what we see embodied in him is that he's always modeling what it looks like to live as a son and that he serves with the heart of a king. And he leads with the heart of a servant. It's not acquiescence. It's not meek and mild. It's the kindest man you've ever met. And also with heroic courage and strength in the service of love. And that's what I want. Man, this is an epic journey, Morgan, that you're describing. And even though I've been on this journey for a while, I'm, I'm having a renewed vigor for it. And the areas where I'm doing some more self, self-examination and taking inventory of these things. Um, I really liked your habitats that you talked about in chapter seven. And probably the biggest one for me is slow down. Yeah. Uh, one of my habits was, one of my covetous of, and I, I suppose I learned it at the Air Force Academy, my time. I've got to pack everything into every moment of the day stop and slow down, smell the roses, pay attention. As my earthly father once said, my dad passed away. Now I hear my heavenly father say it, pay attention to the world around you and slow down. The other habitats that you mentioned about the, the ways that we create places that we are going to grow, um, places where you want to dare and fail, places where the low seat, taking that humility, that meekness, that Habitats was really probably one of the greatest uh, flight manuals, the greatest Mm -hmm. examination of a way to put this into practice for somebody who doesn't really understand yet, you know? Yeah, thanks, Bill. I think what I was after in that is, you know, I'm, I'm trying to take this body of wisdom and content that I've gathered over a decade and the original manuscript was 350,000 words and I had to get it down to 55,000. So it was a lot of uh, chainsawing wow. and, um, and, and chisel work. But in it, the, the hope is to start with some very big ideas, this ideas of how do we become powerful in a way that we can be entrusted uh, for the service of love. Who is our true self? You know, how do we become a son? How do we become a warrior? And then, and then in the book, I try to get very practical. And what you're, what you're describing is, the, you know, the masculine soul is designed for a habitat. Every animal, every plant, every species in creation will thrive in certain habitats and shrivel and die in other habitats. And yes. we are soul at our core. And so I, I took that body of wisdom and curated and distilled as best as I could. What are the fundamental realities that are universal to masculinity? A lot of it applies to femininity, but I really wanted to honor men to get very true and genuine to speak to them, to say, what is the atmosphere in which a man's heart can become wholehearted and mature over time? And then the next chapter, Becoming Deep Roots, goes right into the ground level. You land the plane, and what are the practical steps where we make this very operational? But the danger is to be dogmatic, to be very... um, 
you know, rules-based and performance-oriented, right. and that's not the spirit of it. So the, no. the habitat gives you the heart and soul, and the habits are where you actually put, um, you know, the honest work of it is epic, but it's also one-degree shift. And as you know from being pilot, if you're one or two degrees off course over thousands of miles, it changes everything for better and for worse. Yeah, fabulous map to go through this because you captured not only the spirit of your heart but all the tools to do it with the motivation the epic journey and once again this is bill harper and i'm interviewing morgan snyder on wave 94 fm about his new book becoming a king the restoration of a man's soul i can't say enough morgan about this work as a concise reference point it not only speaks to your with your own testimony and your own story uh, about how you've made this journey but it gives great insight and wisdom gives tools and techniques gives countless examples of what it looks like and well researched i mean you've thrown everything all kinds of stuff in there so um I just want to say, Morgan, that this has been a real joy and an honor to to interview you today on Wave 94 uh, FM. And it was I was about to say that one of my chapters was the favorite until I got to the prayer at the end the becoming good soil prayer. Um, I have been a fan. And ever since I attended uh, Wild at Heart Boot Camp and read uh the book Wild at Heart. I've been using that daily prayer when I get under assault. And that's the context of what's above the line. All of those principles of the gospel that are in there, the truths that are in the gospel are huge. Your prayer, your becoming good soil prayer was a song. Mm. It was a song. Equally as powerful, but it flowed in such beautiful places through my Mm. soul. I read it over and over. I go to it many nights here and it is a wonderful way i love the way you invite the father into our hearts to help us with this it was the best chapter of all for mm-hmm. me. it really was um i'm a man in search of my heart and simon Weil once said and i read it in john's book two things pierce the human heart one is beauty the other is affliction and reading that that prayer i was pierced in some places the places I needed to work on, the places that I had fallen short, the honesty really with God and piercing is good. So I'm a better man for it. Mm. Um, and your book pierces my heart in many ways, which is good. Yeah, Bill, it really blesses me to hear that. My heart is to find men like you. It's to reach the many and find the few, you know, generation after generation. What's fascinating is history proves to us that the gospel's always recovered and preserved on the fringes. In the headlines, it feels mainstream sometimes, but history reminds us it's almost always tribal. It's almost always through small heroic fellowships of like-hearted pilgrims. And I think that it says as much about you as it says about the prayer, because it's really about engaging. You know, the message is available to everybody. Jesus makes it so clear. I think my hope on this, Bill, is the, the narrow path that leads to life and the narrow gate is available to all people. At every moment, I actually believe that supernaturally at every moment of our 
journey, God is making open a narrow gate that leads us back to recover the path of life. But the choosing is for us and us alone. And we can always make that choice. And so for our listeners out there, I would just ask them to be curious, what's rising up? What comes to their heart when they listen to this dialogue? And to be curious about what is the narrow gate just for today, just for this Mm -hmm. moment that's the next step that God's saying, son, daughter, I see you. I know your story and I am at work. And I'm inviting you to respond to my initiative. Come with me. I want to lighten your load. I want to help you see clearly. And I want you, I want to help walk with you so that you can get your whole heart back. Yes, it's available to you. Follow me. Uh, Don't be judged by this world. Get out of your head and empty your heart and look up towards me. This is available. Do not be afraid. Grab my hand. And failure is part of it. Uh, Do not be judged by the world. I'm your judge, and I love you and adore you. Yes. Um, That's the eyes above the line. That's the sun. Yeah, I I hope the listeners here today that whatever path they're on, the part of becoming a king and the influence we have for either good or bad to all the people in our kingdom, starting with our young children and then our old children. I'm now a grandfather and employees or whatever. To be a good blessing, to be one that creates, gives blessing and bounty and enriches their lives instead of harm. Anybody wants that. We all want that. And this roadmap to this, this, this really entertaining enlightening, honest, transparent book, Becoming a a King. It's just simply profound, Morgan. Thanks, Bill. Well, I'm truly honored to share this space with you. And my heart is that all these listeners would um, tune in to what God is doing right now in their story. And as you alluded to, I think in some ways, because the prayer was uh, most powerful, it's, it's it's indicative of every chapter's prologue to get to the next point. And at the end of the book, it's really just an invitation into a deeper journey over time. And in some ways, this podcast, this radio time for us is prologue. It's all prologue. And what I want to say to our listeners is there's so much more. And so I hope that they would be encouraged to dive into becoming a king. The study guide is a personal journey. The videos are really accessible for a first timer, but there's a whole body of podcasts and blogs that that we've been putting together for the like-hearted for over a decade. And they can find that all at becomingaking.com. Absolutely. Morgan, I got to tell you, folks, we're interviewing Morgan Snyder today again about his book, Becoming a King. But on the becomegoodsoil.com website, your podcasts are amazing. The wisdom that comes off of that and as well as the wildatheart.org website is profound in this day. And what you're sharing with the people has just lifted me and, and brought me closer to God every day. So Becoming a King, The Path to Restoring the Heart of a Man is available on Amazon.com. And today we're interviewing and concluding an interview with Morgan Snyder. Morgan, thanks for coming on board Wave FM. Yeah, honor to be with you. Thanks, Bill. Thank you, Morgan. 